Uh, we are buddies. Well, you certainly are a sorry-looking pair. We are not sorry. No, sir, we're just discouraged. Hello, hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Laurel and Hardy podcast. I'm Patrick Vasey, the author of the forthcoming book, Laurel and Hardy Silence, the editor of the all-new Laurel and Hardy magazine, and your host for the next hour or so. Now, usually on the podcast, we take a chronological deep dive into the films of Laurel and Hardy, but occasionally we step aside and focus or celebrate something new, something related to Stan and Ollie. And that's exactly what we're doing today. On the 9th of September 1953, approaching the end of their careers, Stan and Babe took a boat from the States and arrived in the small harbour town of Cove in Ireland, ahead of another tour of Britain's theatres. The boys assumed that they had been disembarking unnoticed by the townspeople, but that couldn't have been further from the truth. Now, exactly 70 years on, filmmakers Matt Holt and Andy Hollingworth have produced a heartwarming and affectionate documentary recording that beautiful and moving event. The film, entitled The Last Dance of the Cuckoos, had its world premiere at the Sons of the Desert European Convention earlier this month, fittingly held in Cove, Ireland. And so today, I'm so happy to say that we'll be chatting with Matt and Andy all about their love for Laurel and Hardy and their experience making the film. I'm really excited about this bonus episode as it's an absolute first for the podcast. Today, I'm happy to welcome not one but two guests onto the show at the same time. Joining me to talk about their love for Stan and Ollie, as well as the recent premiere of their new documentary film, The Last Dance of the Cuckoos, is filmmaker Matt Holt and photographer Andy Hollingworth. So welcome to the Laurel and Hardy podcast, Matt and Andy. Delighted to be here. Hello. Thank you for having us. It's an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. It's always great to welcome new guests onto the show, guys. Uh, and this is a first, as I said, two at the same time. So let's see how we go. Let's see if we, we step on each other's toes and talk all over each other. That, that should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, first of all, congratulations on the film. It, it's absolutely, it, it's a beautiful and, can I say, emotive tribute to, to Stan and Babe's visit to, uh, to Cove. Is that how you say it? Cove? Cove, Cove yeah. Cove, yeah. So um, we'll we'll talk about the film in a moment or two, if that's okay. But I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was a beautiful film. Um, but before that, let's just find out a little bit about both of you, if that's okay. Sort of about your your career at the moment, what you're up to, um, and also your Laurel and Hardy backstory would be great. I ask all guests um, how you discovered Laurel and Hardy. If you can remember your earliest memories of them, if you can recommember. Um, that would be ideal. So, uh, Matt, we'll start with you, if that's okay. Um, so if you could just tell us a little bit about um, your career as a filmmaker um, and your yeah your earliest memories of the boys. Yeah, well, <clears throat> career. Well, I started, um, my favourite toy as a kid was a cassette recorder. So back in the days where you'd go out and buy a, what we call a C90 uh, yes. cassette tape. And, uh, yeah, I was... because. Because cameras were very expensive, uh, not many people had that camcorder and that kind of thing. I used to make little radio shows and um, run around and do impressions and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm talking like from really early age, age of three or four or something like that. Yeah. Influenced by Kenny Everett, who used to, <laughs> used to do shows and I'd kind of mimic him and do that kind of thing. So I took this kind of love of uh, audio uh, and I started working in radio when I was at school. And back in those days, in the early 90s, it was um, 
audio editing was razor blade and tape. <laughs> right. now, now, Cinefilm, and obviously people who know Cinefilm, 8mm, 6 but you know, that was the same. You, you spliced it, you cut it. But audio was the same at the BBC back right. in those days. So when you made a cut, you actually made a cut. Right. And um, I quickly got into editing. I really loved how you could build a narrative. Hmm. And in those days, you, what you would do is if you would keep ums and airs over your shoulder. So you cut out things like that and keep them. <laughs> just, just in case you made a bad edit... And then, then you could cut it back in, you know. So it I'm really making, taught. I'm making notes of this. This is good. This is gold. <laughs> so it really taught me. I just, I just fell in love with the whole editing process. And then I took that. Uh, I went to university, and quickly because I'd been a, a telly addict, which will we'll kind of go back to that with my Laurel and Hardy uh, influence. But because I've been a telly addict as a kid, I quickly moved from the audio into the video side of it. So I did a foundation course, which was film photography. Um, linear audio and uh some video editing which was two machine video editing where you had two machines playing and one recording and you'd uh, you'd put together shot after a shot and if you had, if you wanted to make a change you had to go back to the tape and kind of go over the top of it so right. it was it was it was not as laborious as the audio with the razor blade but it was still quite laborious yeah um and one of the first things i did when i was at university was i took all my I used to tape uh, Laurel and Hardy as a kid. Um, well, this is weird doing this like this because I really need to go back to way back when I was like three years old. So um, to bring the Laurel and Hardy into my career kind of side of it, one of my earliest memories, and this is this is the truth, um, I fell out of a moving car at the age of three. Wow. Now, this is new to now, me. <laughs> now, luckily, my mum is 78 and social services can't really get involved now. So, but, but, okay. But in the 70s, uh, you didn't have seatbelts and that kind of thing. And mum yeah. had this car and she'd put the back seats down because she was delivering uh, the wages for a factory. Uh, Going around to the, the outworkers delivering the wages. And I must have been messing about with a door handle. And when she got back in the car after nipping into a news agents, the car drove away and I fell out and luckily hit the pavement and bounced onto the pavement rather than bouncing underneath the wow. car. Wow. Uh, a, a painter and decorator <laughs> slid down. It's, it, it is really long. I slid down the ladder, picked me up and ran after the car that stopped at the traffic lights. The door had shut by that point. My mum was completely oblivious. <laughs> uh, knocked on the window and had me in his arms. And she thought she'd run over somebody. Looked in the back seat. I'm not there. Put two and two together. Anyway, she took me to hospital and I stayed in hospital and had a night what they call an observation. Being three years old, it's a really scary thing. I remember how scary it was. Yeah. But the next day, this is when mum says, tells me this story. When she came to pick me up, I didn't want to leave because there was a TV on, black and white TV in the far corner. And I said to her, I'm not going yet, mum. I'm watching Fatty and Thinning. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that is a really early, early memory. Um, and from that, from that point on, I was a, I was a telly addict. I used to watch yeah. TV. And, and in those days... So I was born in 76, so we kind of roll around into the early 80s. Uh, as you probably said, by a lot of English people that have been on your podcast, TV used to, kids' TV used to finish on BBC One. And to keep the kids happy on BBC Two, they would play Laurel and Hardy shorts and things like Harold Lloyd, and him yeah. the, the compilations, Ray yeah. for Harold Lloyd, you know, all those compilation shows. And um, I would eat all this stuff up, Basil Rathbone and all this kind of thing. And I remember even at an early age, I used to be really interested in like, how, the, how it was put together 
And like, I remember in Toad in the Hole where the bucket kind of swings in the air and you think that's on, that's on fishing wire. <laughs> that's being pulled, <laughs> even as a kid. But it doesn't break the, you know, it doesn't break the illusion. But the, the yeah. mechanics of it, I was interested in in that kind of age. So then fast forward to university, I'd got a wealth of all of these things that I taped off the television because like, you could do it in those days. So you would I'd set the video recorder when, as I got older and these things would play over the summer and you would make yourself a compilation tape. And I took these things to university and I, the friends that I made at university, I would play these. They, they, they weren't that au fait with Laurel and Hardy or um, my friend who's now a, a policeman quite, quite high up. He was like, what's this? Laurel and Hardy, black and white. I'm not going to watch that. And I played in these. We'd, we'd get bored and we'd put the VHS and we'd play, play in these things at nighttime. And he absolutely loved it. So I managed to convert a lot of my friends into liking it. Great. And one of the first things I did at university was we made a Laurel and Hardy film, which... I've not put out there publicly because it's absolutely terrible. I play, <laughs> I play Oliver Hardy, my mate who now uh, works at Granada TV. Uh, he, as a, he's a, a producer. He played Stan, and my other friends played Tiny, and one was Finlayson with a moustache glued on. It was all around golf. It was an elite. It was in a. It was in a park in Leeds, but it was great to have all this footage. That I'd take it to the, to the university out of hours, and we were able to use the edit suites and made my own little Laurel and Hardy film in my spare time kind of thing. I was that interested in making this kind of wow. stuff. I was doing stuff in kind of the spare time of it. So then um, graduated from university and uh, worked for some production companies, ITV production companies, uh, which is central in Yorkshire TV, making uh, trailers. And then to smaller production companies in Leicester. And then I set up my own production company uh, back in 2004. And then mainly in the making brand, what we call branded content or corporate video, working for businesses, really, because yeah. in, the, in the 90s, a lot of the uh, Pebble Mill and Lenton Lane and a lot of these uh, and Central TV, they all kind of closed down. Hmm. So a lot of the stuff in the Midlands disappeared. Um, but as the years went on, I'd accrued equipment and uh, had my own stuff that I could, you know, try and make documentaries with, uh, even though I wasn't being commissioned to make stuff. I'd kind of commission myself to make things that I wanted to make. Yeah. And then they became calling cards. Um, one other thing before uh, I go off the sub subject, going kind of back to uh, me as a kid, Lauren Hardy. Um, my great grandfather was a music hall comedian called Billy Burton. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, you, you can find him on Wikipedia. He was involved in the miners' strike, 1926. Um, he had like a, band, a caravan bandstand thing, a fundraiser thing. Um, but he had six kids, uh, so, sorry, seven children, six six daughters and one uh, son, my granddad. So his, his act expanded into Billy Byrne and his seven chicks. Nice. Now, he kind of passed on this love of comedy to his son, which was my granddad. So growing up, my granddad was a really big influence on me. And I think he was nice. he was a very crazy character. He, like one Christmas, he turned up... Uh, Christmas Eve with a sombrero hat on and a ginger wig ringing the doorbell and waking <laughs> us all up as well. He was just absolutely nuts. But I remember he got me into uh, comedy and, and encouraged my love of Laurel and Hardy. And in the 80s, you could go to uh, like a record shop and you could buy a full-length poster of Laurel and Hardy. And I did. You know, I, you could go around those days and like you, you, yeah. you see the poster on Friends of, you know, Jerry and Chandler in the background. You know, they, they, it was that popular. You could go to stores and look through not just one. There'd be several things. Yeah. So I used to have posters of Lauren Hardy. And then when I got to age 15, I asked for a, a bowler hat. 
for my birthday and i've still got that hat and i still go around filming Lauren and hardy things in this in this hat so um so yeah it's uh there's, there's that Lauren and hardy it's kind of come in and out of my my yeah. life and I've, I've definitely i went away from it and i was i was less happy when i did go away from it i realized you know i came back to it i rediscovered it all all over again probably on the run-up to stan and ollie coming out and revisited uh uh, a lot of the films and stuff and it was great to you know there's that connection that you have yeah with yourself as a child and it's still there within you you kind of grow up but you you know you, you grow old but you don't really grow up do you if you're like no. Lauren Hardy and you no. can you revisit a lot of this stuff uh so yeah, yeah that's a quite a rambling long answer that that's that a weaves, great answer that weaves in <laughs> my, my day job and also yeah. uh passion of Lauren Hardy that's Absolutely. still growing no, that's a great answer, and, and it's funny. I mean, so, such a lot of that rings bells with me because I was born in '76. Uh, I didn't fall out of a car, having said that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think I, I think I was dropped on my head as a baby. I, I seem to remember being told that. We're probably uh, both but... both waiting for that jumps Oxford moment then, when we get hit on the head again, <laughs> and our proper, our proper personalities come out. We're actually much cleverer than we are. Yeah. Good gracious, Meredith! Why don't you fix that window? Hit me right on the cranium. Your lordship. You've got your memory back. You know me. What on earth are you talking about? Of course I know you. Where's my tea and crumpets? Hurry. Oh, it's a miracle. A miracle. Um, but no, exactly the same. And yeah, I grew up watching BBC Two, Harold Lloyd, a pair of glasses and a smile and uh, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you could go around to it like Athena and buy big posters of Laurel and Hart. I had them on my walls and everything. And then I drifted away from it. And then the run up to Stan and Ollie made me think, hang on. I haven't, I haven't spent time with my boys for ages, and then suddenly it all just flowed back out again. Yeah, and uh, I think I'm a much better person with Stan and Babe in my life. <laughs> my wife might argue. I don't know. We will see. <laughs> well, we won't go into that. <laughs> we won't go into that. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Andy, Andy, oh, yeah. let's hear from you, sir. Okay. So my earliest memories of um, Lauren Hardy. I'm, I'm, I'm about ten years older than you guys. Uh, however. That BBC Two moment is actually my moment as well. And I used to come home from school on a Friday and I can distinctly remember, just like you lot turning over from rhubarb and custard at six <laughs> o'clock over to BBC Two. And everything you said there, Matt, um, Harold Lloyd and Basil Rathbone, I definitely remember, and the Marx Brothers at times and, and Stan and Ollie. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I've got this thing whereby your comedy heroes as a child sit with you the deepest i've always felt that and it's the same with the sitcoms that you see you know i i can remember watching dad's army at school and the and the comedians and you would go to school the day after and you would you would try and be that comedian and and tell those jokes or say stupid boy or don't tell him pike or all that sort of stuff so yeah absolutely that was exactly my um you know entry into laurel and hardy too um i'm a I'm a full-time school teacher. However, in the time that I'm not teaching, I photograph comedians. I've been doing it for 28 years. Uh, I fell into it. My granddad was a miserable so-and-so. And, -so, and uh, the only time that he ever laughed that I remember was at Charlie Williams on The Comedians. And my mum says that I used to sit on a stool at my, my grandma's house and stare at my granddad laughing at Charlie Williams on The Golden Shot and The Comedians. So when I was in my mid-twenties, I wrote to Charlie, who was long retired. I just wanted to shake his hand and say thank you. And I went and I took a couple of pictures as a souvenir. And 
and that was in you know 1995 and then i photographed my comedy heroes so uh, rick mail victoria wood alexi sale and then agents would then kind of contact me and say you know we, we like stuff would you like to do some stuff and and i haven't looked back from there and i'm i'm incredibly lucky i get to work with the, the best people and uh, while still remaining an amateur and the people will wait for my half term and it is just fabulous <laughs> i feel very lucky that's wonderful and i've got to say you know just looking at the portfolio on your website it's probably easier to list the people you haven't photographed in stand-up comedy. What? I mean, what a portfolio. The names on there are just unbelievable. Eddie Izzard, Ricky Gervais, Dave Chappelle. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, and they're just on and on. I was looking through these different pages. It's absolutely crazy. But, yeah, just fabulous. Just as a matter of interest, um, do you do you often get into conversation with them about Laurel and Hardy? Do any of them sort of reveal, you know, a, a, a joint? Yeah, from for time them? to time. For example, Harry Hill and I, 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 I've been for ten years. I've been photographing artifacts, and I've I've shot about nineteen thousand now. It's almost hit twenty thousand comedy tickets. So sometimes I'll take a box of tickets if we're shooting somebody, and. People like, you know, Harry Hill, you can tell that the, you, you fish out a little batch of tickets and they, they flip. They, they can't believe that you've got these things. And, and then you start discussing and, and, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Fantastic. That's great. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing that, guys. That's, that's, a, that's brilliant. Um, so if we move on to the film, um, so just give us a little bit of, of background as to the idea. Where did the idea come from um, for the film and how did you two hook up? Well, um, about 2017, uh, I came across this, the story of um, Adrian Gabrers and his dad uh, online somewhere. And I thought oh, that it was such a beautiful, romantic fairy tale, really. And, um, and so I thought, oh, I wonder if this guy is still alive. And I did a bit of digging online and I found out that he was still alive. And through um, um, Fra Father Frankie, um, who Frankie Doodle, who is um, um, Jimmy, Jimmy Cricket's son, who is a Catholic priest. I Frankie Doodle, said, that's, that's his name. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> that's Father amazing. And um, so um, we, uh, I contacted him and said, could you put me in touch with Cove Cathedral? And he did. He, he and I've, I got in touch with uh, Adrian, who was still very much alive, and is uh, a wonderful character. And I had this idea of taking Stan Laurel's bowler from Ulverston, taking it up to the top of the bell tower, and taking a picture of it while Adrian played, if he would, the cuckoo song again, as his dad had done in 1953. And uh, so. He, through you know over several months got in touch and then covid happened so everything got put back and then um matt matt contacted me through another matt who's uh who runs the markham and wise archive really and matt said would you like to make a film and i said no because i'm very shy <laughs> <laughs> but then we got chatting it and it became just through chatting we we, we hadn't met until the week of the film Oh, and, yeah, oh yeah, not not at all. But his his love of Lauren Hardy came across, and his sincerity, and his love for comedy came right across. So we then started talking about we might make this film, and uh, so then we started, uh, you know, researching a bit more, and um, we planned it and we did it. 
Well, I remember, again, there's another one of those reaching out via, through Twitter because I'd seen Andy's work over the years. Um, and it's obviously this is a, an audio uh, an audio medium and we're, we're describing photographs, but Andy's work is really cinematic and quite like film noir. There's like a, always like a strong light source. Yes, yeah. And really striking imagery that I'd, you know, and my heroes, you know, Harry Hill, Tim Vine, I'd seen all these, all these characters and these photographs come up and I, I thought, I don't want to work with Andy. I don't want to work with Andy. And then reached out through Twitter and Andy almost immediately contact, well, said, uh, give me your phone number. So we contact, we started talking and uh, I was really keen to make a film about behind the scenes of Andy doing his, his, his thing and kind of get the get the secret of how he how he photographs these comedians who you know comedians are quite animated or they can be the, or they can be literally the opposite they can be really really shy and I was wondering how he works and how he gets you know this would make a great film and it was no I don't want to go on camera I don't want to be I don't want to say anything I don't want to do it and I was like oh, this is, how are we going to do this but then yeah the love of uh, the Laurel and Hardy thing and when Annie started, he said, do you know the story of Cove and, and the Bells? Now, I'd read uh, the McCabe books as a teenager. I must have got them in the early 90s. So there were three books, but the main one that I remember was Mr. Lauren, Mr. Hardy. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's about a paragraph in there that, that talks about when the 1953, when the, they came to Ireland. Um, but it's quite quickly, it's quickly covered over. And I reread the Simon Lubish book recently. That has two lines uh, of what is a really interesting story. So when Andy said, oh, you know, the Irish. And I said, yeah. And I just kind of said, you know, the bells rang out. That's it. And Andy's like, oh, no, 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 no. I've been researching it. And there's this something. And started telling me all this other stuff. And, you know, if you're a, if you work in the visual media, you start, you know, imagining it, you know, what it's going to be like. And, uh, but uh, because the timings of it, and we were, we only had like a little short window. We decided we were going to make it this year, and we had a short window where we could both uh, do the film. And we were trusting each other because we <laughs> neither of us had met each other. And we're going to go off on this odyssey uh, together and share uh, share a room, folks. <laughs> not, yeah. quite, not quite share a bed. Very Laurel and Hardy. I love Absolutely. it. Very Laurel and Hardy. That's, that's a method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a we did have a horse with us, um, but yeah, there was this. But with the, the both, we both of us had this belief. Uh, I believe I was thinking, well, this you know, it's a Lauren and Hardy story. I mean, what could go wrong? It's going to be amazing. And and Andy's you know had uh, been researching all this stuff. And uh, again, what we didn't realise was the anniversary was you know it's it's seventy years, isn't it? Seventy years uh, just gone in September, uh, beginning of September. And we didn't realise that even when we'd booked the tickets, booked the Airbnbs and the hotels and we're going over there. We were just kind of like, oh, this is the time to do this uh, this story because we've uh, – we probably should say – we haven't actually said kind of fully what the story is. I was just going to say for the benefit of anybody who hasn't seen them because there'll, there'll be a lot of people – most people probably haven't seen the film yet because it only premiered at the, the recent um, – the European convention in yeah. Cove. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, just just for those people who, who aren't aware of the film, do you want to just – Andy, do you want to just, just jump in and just give a background to what the film is about? Okay, please? well, be great. Um, in 1953 on the final tour, please – you guys know more about this than, than me. So they travelled from New York to Cove and – Babe, 
uh, didn't have the correct. He'd worked in Britain and he was an American citizen. So he'd worked within the year. So there were complications with regard to his income tax. So right. they had to go to Ireland first before coming to Britain. So they got on the um, the SS United States, the SS America, sorry, and they um, they travelled across, and they they thought they were coming to um, to just a, a quiet little town, and they didn't know that people would know that they were coming. Now <laughs> we found out from um, Liam Muldowney, who's brilliant in in the island. Hello, Liam. Um, that um, the local paper had published the passenger list. So it had come via telegraph or somewhere. <laughs> so um, as the ship, the, the ship comes into the harbour and then they get transferred to a tender. And as, when the tender comes in, they see that there are hundreds of people there, literally hundreds of people, and there are loads of small boats. And uh, Adrian Gabers, who was there, he told us that Stan and Ollie actually turned round to see what the fuss was about. They looked physically behind them because they didn't <laughs> know that the people were there. Um, and we'll talk more about the school kids in a bit. But so as the tender comes in, um, the, the cathedral, St. Coleman's Cathedral on top of the hill, plays the cuckoo song. And it's beautiful. And they look at each other and they burst into tears. Mm. And um, Stan later, if you, if you look, if you read his letters and if you look at the, the This Is Your Life, which is amazing, um, they, Stan calls it the greatest day of his life. So they come onto the land and they ask to be taken to the bell ringers. So they get bundled into the car by a guy who represented the, um, the liner company and they race up the hill. Now, when they get to the top of the hill, what they don't realise is St. Coleman's Cathedral has what's called a carillon, which instead of having a team of bell ringers pulling ropes, you have a 41-bell keyboard. So yeah. the, the person who played the keyboard was one man, and that was Steph Gabers. And he was standing there with his son, Adrian, who was 10 years old. And um, they both have a... They're overcome with emotion. And uh, Adrian doesn't really recognize them because he says they're in lounge suits and they, they're not wearing their bowler hats and they look older yes. than the, you recognize them from the screen. <laughs> so that's quite funny. But they have this yeah. long embrace and then they get bundled back into the car and they go and kiss the Barney Stone and, and away they go. Uh, <laughs> so that was the story. But the, what, the thing that really attracted me was Adrian was uh, 10 years old at the time and he was at the boys' school. And he found out that Stan and Ollie were coming and Laurent Hardy were his heroes. So yeah. he began a near riot at the school at break time. <laughs> they, they pushed the headmaster backwards and he ended up being, because they were pleading with him to, can we go and see them? They're down the road, they're just down the hill. So he said, oh, off you go, away with you. And as they <laughs> then raced past the girls' school, the girls did exactly the same. Brilliant. And the nuns let all the girls go. So they were literally... You know, a couple of hundred kids racing down the hill uh, <laughs> in Cove. And then all the people began to come out of the shops and say, wondering what the noise was. And we were told that the bank was left unattended. The six members of the bank staff all went out <laughs> into the street and everybody raced down. So it was kids bunking off school that <laughs> made Stan and Ollie, it made the greatest day of their life. 
and that there was something so it's like a fairy tale yeah and yeah. that's that's the story of it that's the basis of the story but also because because Andy loves um, the artifacts, taking comedy artifacts. Um, I don't know how he managed to wangle this, but obviously we took Stan Laurel's bowler hat. So the so the the idea that Andy sold to me was we're going to do on this road trip, and we're going to take kind of the spirit of Stan Laurel with us in this, yeah. in this bowler hat. It's amazing. Um, so we we met the first day of filming was. Andy was giving a talk about Victoria Wood at the uh, Winter Gardens in Blackpool. And I drove up uh, to meet Andy for the first time. We jumped in the car and we drove to Blackpool and started the story there as um, before going on to the uh, Alverston Museum to pick up the hat. So the story starts really, introduces Andy... um, Talking about his his career and showing off his, his amazing collection right. of artifacts. So that's so that's why you're in Blackpool to start with. Because yeah, I, I know from that those very first opening shots, <laughs> you just think, my God, this I've got to watch this. This is it. Just brings you straight because those first aerial views of Blackpool, yeah. um, you know, and also just you know the the, the fonts, the credits. You, know, you just think this is quality straight away. You think this oh, is thank you. this is this is worth watching. This is going to be good, um, and it really doesn't disappoint. And that. What I think is so lovely is that the fact that you did take the hat with you and the hat is kind of the star of the show. You know, I mean, Andy's the one obviously presenting and he's the one on, on the camera, uh-huh. but the hat is all, it's almost like another star of the show there. You totally. know, it's just so nice, nicely done, really well, nicely Well, done. we didn't, I, I didn't expect this to be as an emotional a film. I, mm. I, it was really behind the scenes. Andy and I got on really, really well, and there's loads of larking about and, yeah. uh, we were really we were like two kids at, en- enthused with going off on this odyssey with yeah. with Stan Laurel's bowler hat. I mean, it's amazing. Stan Laurel's know. bowler hat. <laughs> that was just <laughs> yeah. But th- there's two there's two parts that really get the emotion of the the first one was uh, when we go to Dublin and go to the uh, Olympia, uh, the Olympia, isn't it? Theatre. Yeah. Because yeah. um, uh, Andy had in his head to take this particular photograph of Stan Laurel's bowler hat. In the spot where Stan and Ollie stood when they appeared there as part yeah. of it, I think it was a charity thing uh, when they were travelling up from Cove to uh, Dunleary, they stopped off in Dublin, did this thing at the Olympia. And so Andy had this image in his head. And when we captured that image, both of us, you can hear him, I actually say something on camera. You, you, most of the time, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut because it's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. invisible. You know, uh, I'm the eyes and ears of the audience, and you know, she's trying to show what's going on. But we get this shot. Well, Andy takes his photograph, and I film him taking the photograph. Yeah. And I think I say something like, "Oh, wow, that was amazing!" And uh, and uh, no, I think you say, uh, uh, "You did it, Andy." And Andy goes, "Oh, we did it." And then we both get a little bit emotional. Yeah, yeah. Looking, yeah. looking at the spotlight of um, of on uh, Stanley's bowler hat. You know, seventy years after they appeared there. Gee, that's swell photography. And then the second thing, we don't want any spoilers, but obviously then when we went to the cathedral, took the hat to the cathedral, and 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 took it back, uh, took it all the way up to the top of the cathedral to place it next to Adrian as he plays uh, the tune again. Um, you know, really emotional. And I'm, I'm glad I swung across pretty much at the time yeah. that Andy was welling up. And uh, yeah. and Andy's, 
folks, you've, you've not heard the preamble to this uh, recording, but Andy's quite uh, camera shy, which is a strange thing for a photographer, but there you go. And uh, we've, we've both got, me and Patrick have both got our cameras on and Andy's uh, not got his camera on. <laughs> uh, but I thought, you know, this is really brave of Andy to somebody that he's never met before in a situation like that. I've got a camera right in his face. And he's not, I think he just completely ignored me. He's, he's caught in the moment of listening to the, the bells playing and uh, focus on Adrian playing fantastically. And, you know, uh, I'm, more, I'm more emotional now and I was more emotional in the edit when I started to put this stuff together with the music and everything, that's kind of when it hit me yes. at the time. Uh, I was a bit detached from more detached from it because I'm, you're thinking of things like focus of, you know, of or, or recording levels. Are you doing all this kind of stuff, which takes you away from it uh, a little yeah. bit, but it was great that we captured that. And, and, and yeah, didn't expect this to be a more of a tear jerking film. thought it was going to be like a road movie of, you know, yeah. uh, laughs and then and kind of, but there is that in there, but, it, but there's a lot of emotion thinking back. Everybody's got a connection, haven't they, with Lauren and Hardy. It's a personal yeah. connection. You've got like your public connection when you sit and you watch the films with other people together, probably as an older person. That's right. But it goes back to that part when you were a little kid or when you first saw it. And it, yeah. it, 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 it it's way, way within you. And, and part of it is, it's a bit like that rosebud thing, isn't it? With the Sits oh. and Kane. It's like going back to the little, thing that maybe you thought was lost or maybe you thought it was gone, yeah. but it's still there. And, you know, when you, when, when you watch some of these films, uh, you, you, you laugh, but at the same time, I think there's another, another emotion in there, which is a bit of, you know, melancholy, uh, I don't know, wistfulness or whatever. And there's, there's, there's always two things happening there. And, you know, even now, I, mean, I, I reread the, uh, Lubish's book on holiday. And when you're getting towards the end bit, you find yourself getting emotional. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Watching yeah. Stalin Ollie, you find yourself getting the, the um, Steve Coogan and uh, John C. I know it wasn't for everybody, the John C. Riley film. Yeah. But even just thinking about it, um, and it's the same with the Cove thing, even when you start thinking it through, mm. imagining them at the end of their careers, suddenly getting another uh boost and of, of energy from uh, an audience of people that they didn't expect and they didn't expect to be remembered and they're supposed to be there in secret and they're really just supposed to be there to go and write their script and slipping on the radar and suddenly they get this massive outpouring of love yeah. and 70 years later even though these people are not around and you film this this scene and put it together you kind of feel that magic is still around yeah. um and that's 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 testament to Testament to all the people that made the Laurel and Hardy films, but it's testament to Laurel and Hardy themselves. Absolutely. So what, what, I, what I still might not have told you at the time, Matt, was that my way of getting through the film was going to be I was just going to ignore you. Uh, I was going to ignore the camera, you as the camera. Yeah. So I did. And the, there are bits where, when, when we're unpacking the kit after we've, we've photographed uh, Rob Wilson, but... I'm talking to you rather than I'm talking to the camera. Hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, the, the, the bits, when I first saw the bits about Blackpool, I, I watched it with Julia and I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't remember him filming that. And and that is your skill is as well as getting all the technical bits right. And the, and, and you're right, uh, Patrick, those, those aerial shots for me make the film. And, um, you, you just you just get on with stuff and it allowed everything to happen 
and and that was kind of my way of getting through it. But you, you're absolutely right. I I didn't know when you swing across when we're up in the cathedral. I didn't know that you'd found that. Um, so there you go. It was it was an it was a a really poignant, very beautiful moment, and I think it, it's it, it took me by surprise because I'm, I'm I had I was listening to I was watching the film on a fairly big screen, and I got my headphones in, so it's quite a very personal experience when watching it in that way. Um, and I mean, I know the story of Cove when they arrive. I mean, I, as you as you say, Matt, I, I read it in the um, in the McKay book. So I'm kind of familiar with it, but you can't kind of understand how that sounded. You can't put yourself in that in that place. And what this film really beautifully does, you hear the you hear what it sounded like, so you know exactly what it sounded like. You get in the aerial views again. I don't. I mean, you can't really spoil it. I don't think there are spoilers because you have to see this to experience it. Oh, thank you. You've got the, you've got the aerial views of the bay and the cathedral, and that. Beautiful sound of the carillon, is it called? Yes. The carillon yeah, bells are ringing, and it's just and because it's that tune that is sat with you in your heart for so long, yeah. so many years. And I was welling up, and I thought, "You stupid boy!" And then, <laughs> and then in that second, you stupid boy, Andy's, <laughs> Andy's on screen, welling up, and you're thinking, "He's exactly the same as me." And it's such a, I felt such a connection to Andy at that, at that moment. And I'm sure there are so many people who watch that film that will feel exactly the same thing. Um, and then because I didn't know it was coming, I think it makes it even better. So maybe that is a spoiler of sorts. Um, but but it's just... From a, from a filmmaker point of view, um, the best thing you can do is get an emotion from somebody. Now, yeah. I, I set up Spoon Jar Films. Um, it's called Spoon Jar Films, and that off after Tommy Cooper because that was my late father's favourite uh, comedian. Right, and right. Uh, not uh, anybody that kind of get a lot of comedians get it. Oh, Spoon Jar Films! But the idea was to entertain people, and I thought to make people laugh. But it's even sweeter when you get that other emotion when people, yeah. you know, they, they, you know, tears of joy or whatever. But when you get that, because. I, it, you know, it's hard to, to do that with a leaflet or a, or a pamphlet yeah. or something. You know, that's yeah. where cinema and film and comes into its own is, is that emotion machine. Yeah. Um, and you can get it from photography. I mean, uh, Andy's photographs are, are really, really stunning. And, and the oh, photo yeah. photographs that he took of um, of our journey and of the hat in all these different places and the yeah. people who are related to the people that were there at the time, they're mm. absolutely stunning. And they stand alone as, as pieces of art, which we'll probably touch on later on. But when you put everything together and, you know, you've got the subject of Andy as well in, in there. And another thing we didn't, again, this is probably we should have done a bit more research, but foolishly, both of us thought that when we got to the cathedral, we'd walk in and the carillon, this massive keyboard yeah. thing that plays the bells would be on the ground floor. <laughs> yeah. so, we thought, so we got all of our kit, not just the video equipment, but Andy's yeah. got all of his uh, photographic equipment. And we meet Adrian, who's fantastic on the steps and tells us yeah. the, the, the whole story of, of them coming up to the cathedral in the car and everything else. So then he tells us, would you like to go and uh, you know see the car? And we go, yeah. And we walk in <laughs> and quite quickly take a right turn through a side door to the tower where we're going to then walk up 214 steps. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I switched the camera back on because I'm thinking, I was thinking I'm going to walk in, set it all up nice, you know, this kind of thing. So it's, I'm then filming really wobbly kind of shots, which I don't like to do, but you've no, got to works. capture the moment. And I'm yeah. behind Andy and it's so narrow. 
it was actually rubbing on our camera bags yeah. and it wore, it wore my camera bag away by the time I'd got back down at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it made like a, a cone and it, it rubbed it away. So we go all the way up following Adrian, who's, um, he's older than us. I'm not going <laughs> to but he's met Laurel and Hardy folks. So, you know, you <laughs> yeah. can do the maths on this uh, yeah. or the math, as you say in America. And so I filmed both of them going up and you can actually hear a bit like, you know, uh, in the Laurel and Hardy films where they, you can hear them wheezing uh after yeah. after running around uh blockheads isn't it when they're going up and down the stairs that yeah. happened in real life six mm-hmm. how long did you say it would take us to get up there oh just a jiffy hmm. how far's a jiffy about three shakes of a dead lamb's tail hmm. didn't think it was so far surprising but this Uh-huh. How many with seven makes 13? Six. Swell, we've only got six more jiffies. Uh-huh. Won't be long now. We got up to the, the, the resting part, which is where the clock, there's like the, the clock uh, faces that let the light in um, just below where the carillon now sits. It, was, it used to be there and they moved it up. So yeah. that we stopped there for Adrian to point that out. And we're literally... <laughs> <laughs> and Adrian's completely in his stride because he's doing it three times a day or how many times a day he does it yeah. uh, and obviously he's then got to perform he's then got to play um, <laughs> but there was I wanted to capture that because I don't think um, it, people have filmed at the cathedral before and, and kind of told part of this story before but you don't get the idea that this mm. Caroline is right at the top and um, yeah capturing that with Andy and then, then we come back at later on and take some photographs um, and that rested place. And again, um, you have to go through these tiny doors and all that kind of stuff. And and filming that and, and letting the audience, I mean, you could say we didn't do a research and folks, we didn't do a research, so <laughs> slap on the wrist for that. But in not doing a research, like not knowing about um, uh, Liam uh, until we got to the museum, we find out about uh, Liam over in Dublin, yeah. who then gives another part of the story. And he's written a great book uh, called Near Dublin, isn't it? Yeah, that's Near right. Dublin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also by not doing that, you get this genuine uh, recording of what's happening as it unfolds. Hmm. Obviously, I'm playing the part, I'm in the eyes of the audience, and you generally, genuinely see us going up the tower and being a bit dishevelled at the, at the end of it, and also uncovering a part of this story that then takes us off in other little directions. It's not just the Cove story. The Cove story is really important. Hmm. But there's other stuff that wasn't probably as well documented in the cave book and in the in the uh Luvish book of, of other stop offs and other bits and bobs that they did um, in other parts of Ireland, which gives that full story of kind of what happened just before yeah. the, the last tour that they did, you know, as they're writing Birds of a Feather. It kind of gives you, and you get whether this is true or not, obviously it's conjecture, but you get this feeling of, you know, if they were boosted by what happened in Cove hmm. and then they went on to, you know, play a lovely little show in Dublin and then go off to have a, a few weeks. Uh, at the hotel up in Dunleary, yeah. you just get this idea of what a little holiday to spend together and, and be re-energised, thinking, oh, maybe we could do this again, you know, this, and maybe yeah. that went into the writing of the of the uh, of the last sketch. Yeah, yeah Matt's right yeah, there. We yeah. we we were just we were literally leaving the museum, and Matt Cooper, who who was Matt wasn't there that day, uh, unfortunately, but Matt was there, and we were literally walking out and and. 
Matt said, oh, you need to speak to Liam. And we both went, who's Liam? And and, and then I did a, friend, a Facebook friend request, and then we managed to call him. But Liam had so much depth to the film because he's, mm, yes. he's got yeah. all that literal local knowledge. So he was able yeah. to tell us, for example, about the fact that they, in the afternoons, they used to sit on the pier at Dunleary. And that right. is the final shot of the film is is the hat on the pier, which for me is the, is the best shot. And that's that's going to yeah. be the poster of, of the film. And But it it wasn't, we, we agreed on kind of no script and minimum retakes. I think we did, yeah. th- th- we did, there's a bit where I'm sat on the pier right at the end. And ironically, because I had a certain thing to say and Matt was flying a drone over my head, uh, I think that's the bit where we did about three or four retakes. Is that Matt, would you? Is that right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I think also <clears throat> we were literally had, had to catch a plane, so we timed it so we were, it was to the wire. So we were finishing there, then getting the taxi back to catch the plane back to uh, uh, John Lennon Airport. And so there's a little bit of you know when you know the clock's ticking. Yeah. Yes. And it was windy. There were some people chattering off to the left. I had the camera and the drone ready because I wanted to cut from the main camera to the drone. And drones don't record sound, folks. So you have, then have to sync the sound together. So Andy's delivering his line, but then we're going to use that sound underneath the drone shot as a wider shot to kind of fly off over the bay. And I think the pressure on all of us at that point, when we were tired, there yeah. were just a few takes. I want to just drop in another story. Um, it's one of those, there's a lot with, with filmmaking and when you meet people like, obviously Lauren and Hardy basically brought me and Andy together. That's yeah. all these years later, that's what's happened, which is a fantastic thing to happen. But early on in lockdown, I was contacted on Facebook by a gentleman called Eric Tolkien. Out of the blue, we became friends on Facebook through Lauren Hardy, and he sent me a message saying, greetings from Florida. I would like to mail you a special gift and need your mailing address. Don't worry, it won't go bang. It was some... <laughs> It was something Lois Laurel gave me years ago that belonged to the boys. Wow. Now, I was, I didn't know this guy. We'd, we'd, we'd uh, converse back and forwards on Facebook. We've never met. We still never met to this day. And I gave him my address. And sure enough, about a week or so later, uh, an envelope turned up. This was about 2021, it would have been. I opened it, and inside are two luggage labels. And one says Laurel and Hardy Hotel. And one says Laurel and Hardy Theatre. Right. And for a start, I was I didn't get it. What what are these? <laughs> then within there's a letter explaining that these were the luggage labels that went on the cases when the boys went on tour. So they'd right. put a luggage label on that said Laurel and Hardy Theatre. It's Laurel and Hardy Company Theatre. So that yeah. all their clothes for the theatre would go to the right. theatre in the, tr- the trunks. Right. And Laurel and Hardy Hotel was all their clothes, all their normal clothes, <laughs> the beret and whatever they wanted to wear when they weren't uh, as the characters. And yeah. the, obviously that was to split off, off the luggage. And these were gifted to me. And the, I don't even want to know how much they're worth. But when we were putting this together, Andy said, I need to get a box to put Stan Laurel's hat in because obviously it's a very sacred item and very valuable oh, yes. we want to make sure we look after it yeah and a lot of the looks to camera that uh, andy gives are, are real when he's you know he's, he's worried about having this <laughs> yeah. on the journey with it yeah so andy i told andy this story and he said that's great can you uh scan them 
and I will make a facsimile and, and glue that onto the hat box that I've got. I managed to get a hat box which fits it perfectly, fits Stan Laurel's hat perfectly. And it yeah. did. It was a Moss Bros hat box of the time. Keeps it absolutely perfectly safe. So we had this uh, luggage label on. Um, the facsimile of. I've got the real ones kept very, very safe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but the wonderful thing is uh, we made this film to play at an exhibition in Florida. Eric has retired, lives in Florida. He used to live in California. He now lives in Florida. He's got a connection with Stan Laurel. Obviously, that's how he was gifted these from his, his mother and his mother and Lois Laurel were friends. I don't know the full story. It's written down. But um, isn't that an amazing yeah. full circle that I was given Absolutely. these without knowing Andy? And I thought, these are fantastic. I don't know what use they're going to be. I'll frame them. They're wonderful. Thank you very much, you know. Yeah. And then we sent... We sent as we started the film, we sent Eric a message saying, you're never going to believe this, but <laughs> we're making we're making this film. We've put a facsimile of the luggage that's going to be there with Stan Laurel's hat, and that's it's awesome. playing in Florida. So hopefully, it's playing next month. Hopefully, Eric will get to see it. But it's just this wonderful thing. Again, if, you know, Stan and Ollie have brought yeah. us together and, and, and Eric kind of uh, vicariously or whatever you want to call it, yeah. vi- via osmosis or something. <laughs> through right. the internet um but to have these and we then we then tracked down the photograph of like the, the, what you know where were these luggage labels not many photographs of them yeah. on the luggage but there is a couple i think in paris of them of yeah. stan and ollie goofing around with one of these uh luggage uh, labels on, on a case on a pile of case at an, a, a, a railway station so it was great to have that have the hat but also have a box that kind of, um, you know, uh, gives you a visual representation of, of the time and when they would have done the tour. Yeah, it became like a totem for us, didn't it? And I was photographing this box everywhere. and But like Matt says, it never went out of my sight. And, it's, <laughs> and it was under my bed, wherever we stayed. It was, it was literally under the bed. It's not in the bed then. I thought it might be in the bed no, the between the two the of you. <laughs> I had laughing gravy washing in the in the, in the tub. <laughs> that was great. That was really great. But it, it just makes you feel, and and I hear this quite often. In fact, I've experienced it myself. Where you just you almost feel as if it's being it's being gifted to you by the universe or or by the boys themselves. They yeah. want this yeah. to, to fall into your lap for this specific reason. You know, Randy uh, quite often says um, things just fall into his lap. He doesn't know how, doesn't know why, but things just fall into his lap and he's able to do something with it and share it with the world, which is just even even better. Um, and, you know, very similar stories with me and, and Russ, who I do my Laurel and Hardy stuff. He's the other monkey. Uh, you know, it, it just happened, you know, and it, it, it's such a great, bond that we've now got together the same as you two you know it's just it's a real friendship that's that's developed from nothing from absolute strangers um and the things that we both bring to it have just you know we're able to create lovely stuff that people are really really enjoying and it, it's just it's a wonderful gift but it just feels like there's something or somebody somewhere who is designing this for us and it, you know we just have to be grateful for that i guess yeah and you do, you know you, you you we do this because i mean you do your podcast and your magazine and I do stuff as a filmmaker and he does his photography because you want to be documenting it, but you also kind of want to pass it on, introduce it. You, you get a thrill. Yeah. You get really yeah. get a thrill out of, especially when you play something like this in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, we haven't yet experienced it in front of an audience personally. I mean, it played out in, um, in the Cove. It was part of the convention. And unfortunately we couldn't be there due to prior commitments. And we didn't really yeah. know <laughs> at the time of making the film that this uh, anniversary yeah. was coming up. Yeah. 
But when you when you introduce somebody or you you know if you introduce people to Lauren Hardy, you often you're watching them watching Lauren yes. Hardy and yeah. and with a smile on your face uh, waiting to kind of get that uh, reaction. Yeah. Um, but there was a, there was a, a Lauren Hardy moment. I don't know whether Andy remembers this. Um, not not during not during the filming in Ireland, but when we got back late at night uh, <laughs> to the air, to, to the airport. Um, we got back the other side, you know, you collect your baggage and all this kind of thing. We've got camera equipment. We've got Stan Laurel's hat. We're very, very tired. It's dark. It's late at night, about 10 o'clock. And we walk out of the uh, arrivals lounge and uh, into the street at John Lennon Airport. And suddenly we're looking at each other like, where where do we park the car? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and we were in such a joyous moment getting there when we started the filming. <clears throat> That none of us, neither of us, paid any attention. We kind of automatically parked the car off somewhere and walked all the way to the airport, took some photographs and all that kind of thing. So there was this moment where we just kind of looked at these, the blankly, like, it's like, where am I going to find the car? And then I remembered, well, Andy, I filmed you all the way from the car <laughs> to the airport. So we got the the footage back and played it in reverse. <laughs> all the all the landmarks and all the lefts and rights and the turns that we made a bit like in flying deuces which we, which we use in the film and yeah. and found a way back to the car uh and we kind of like look we had kind of a, a right smile on our face because we were you know when you're tired and you and we, it's a bit like you know the music box we're lugging this all this stuff around uh -huh. you <laughs> but it was just one of those moments and you and loads of people get those moments as well if you're a Lauren hardy fan you get those moments. Sometimes you're on your own and you just kind of chuckle to yourself, don't you? Where either you yeah. see somebody doing something that's a bit Oliver Hardy, a bit pompous and over the top, or yes. or a bit, you know, they have that quizzical look of Stan and they're doing something. And you, or it's you and a, and a friend that you're with. Because Laurel and Hardy, you know, they're a double act. It's about a relationship. It's two people interacting with each other yeah. and, a, and a problem or a series of problems or problem people that they're dealing with. And we all have that. We all have that in our lives. And that's why I think Stan and Lolly are still relevant. They're way ahead of the time mm, because yeah. they tackle these universal subjects. You know, we've still got luggage. We're still we're still all lugging things around, even though things cameras are getting lighter and stuff's getting lighter. We end up taking yeah. too many things with us, don't we? Because you can. <laughs> yes. So we've still got all these problems. You still come across cantankerous people of authority. You know, there's all these things are still there. And yeah. so it's all there in Laurel and Hardy. And if you've never watched a Laurel and Hardy film, I feel sorry for you because you need to go and, and see that a lot yeah. of it, and especially in sitcom. And these things, you know, Laurel and Hardy was 4-3, it was square, yes. um, which is, you know, kind of what a lot of television was like up until about the early, mid-2000s when widescreen came yeah. out, TVs. Hmm. So you, know, you can see it through all the sitcoms of the, the 70s and 80s and, you know, whenever there's a relationship with two people or whatever, it, it, it goes through and it goes through all the double acts. We've just had um, over here, uh, what's it called? Uh, Desert Island Discs with Aid Edmondson. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Emotionally yeah. talks about his love of uh, Lauren Hardy. And obviously he was in, uh, with, uh, Andy just spoke about Rick Mail, who he took uh, photographs of. That is right, isn't it, Andy? You took photographs yeah, of Rick. Sure. Yeah. Um, Rick Mail. And they were in the uh, double act of, of bot well, they were in the double act that went through uh Stand up and the young ones, but then they became uh, their their sitcom was Bottom, which was yeah. you know, um, 
but you can see it all the way through that. And Morecambe and Wise, I'm a big fan of Morecambe and Wise, and and yeah. my uh, love of Morecambe and Wise on Twitter, I became friends with Matt that runs the Eric and Ernie thing, and that's again how I think yeah. basically Andy said, "Who is this Matt Holt filmmaker?" And the other Matt said, "Oh, he's all right." We, we can yeah. kind of get on to They kind of back me up. But then there's that lovely line through that uh, with Eddie Braben, and you've probably been selling your podcast before, but um, where Eddie Braben was trying to sell the idea of Eric and Ernie being in a sketch, being in bed together, yeah. and Eric and Ernie weren't having it. For whatever reason, they were like, no. And Eddie Braben says, well, if it's good enough for Laurel and Hardy, it should yes. be good enough for Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. And although there's a lot of... Phil Silvers in uh, Eric Morecambe and a lot yeah. of uh, Abbott and Costello in the backwards and forwards quick chat and everything. There's a lot of physical stuff that's, you know, look at this, the stripper sketch and that stuff. There's loads of nods and winks to Laurel and Hardy. And they they even did a, um, a documentary in the 70s, which is on YouTube, where they did the voiceover, Laurel and Hardy documentary, where Eric and Ernie did oh, the cuckoo. voiceover. Oh, yeah, yeah, the cuckoo right. documentary, yeah. yeah. Where they really spell it out, you know, that yeah. obviously must have been really easy to get them on board for that for that yes. for that yeah. uh project and that's what i found with laurel and hardy is if you mention that you're doing something this i mean probably andy can talk about the harry hill um voiceover uh sex when you're making a film you often do a guide voice you write the script as you want it to be but you need to edit it and make sure the timing's right so you often do a guide voice and because i've started off in radio I'm able to kind of do a read of a, of, you know, slow enough read, not too quick, not too slow, so I can get kind of a, an idea of where to cut everything around. So we wrote this script, and I'll hand, yeah. hand over to Andy now. So we've got a version, probably version three or four of this film of the last uh, last dance of the cuckoos, and uh, we we knew we wanted a voiceover for it to give give it a bit more gravitas. I'll let yeah. Andy, I'll let Andy pick up from here. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, I, I've always loved Stan's letters. There's two or three letters that, that I've put together, which just describe the day. But we we wanted somebody to do. So Matt does that at the end. But we needed somebody yeah. to do the voiceover for the film. And uh, I contacted Harry, and within I think five minutes, the email came back. Yes, I'd love to. And oh, he fantastic. he had one day out of the Bake Off because he does the Junior Bake Off. He literally had one day at home, and by I think it was a seven thirty a.m., uh, he'd done it. And he, he also did loads of different variants and little bits for us to choose from. Wonderful. And he was fantastic. He was just perfect. What a guy! That's great. I love Harry Hill. Fantastic. And he does it. It does a great job as well. And again, I think that that because I mean you're used to Harry Hill with you know the the TV burp and that kind of jovial kind of. But this is quite a serious. But it's brilliant, and the, the the how it marries with the the the, the visuals is great. Yeah. It really gives it some gravitas, as you say, from the from the outset. Really, really well done. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, I don't I think we've I think we've covered all of the all the questions I've got here. I've, I haven't asked you a single one. I don't think we've covered pretty much everything. Well done, you two. <laughs> oh, thank you. What was your so? What was your kind of your your standout? Um, Kind of memory from from the the experience. What 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 have you taken away with you, um, Andy? We'll start we'll start with you. Um, really, it was the realization that um, a bunch of kids bunking off school made the the greatest film comedians who have ever lived. It gave them their finest day, 
And right at, almost at the final curtain, they finally realised how much they were loved. And it was kids that did it. And that really got to yeah. me. And we met this child who is now an elderly, wonderful gentleman <laughs> who he started it. And that was, it was, it's a fairy tale. And that really yeah. got to me. And that's lovely. You see, just just with you saying that there, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. You know, it's just that it's, it's such a strong connection to, to Laurel and Hardy that we we as fans, film buffs, whatever you want to call it, it goes beyond film buffery. It is a real, it's like having family members. And yeah. You sort of have that real, it's such a strange thing to have that emotional reaction to two people you've never met in a totally different era from when you when you were alive. So... Um, so th- I mean, thank you for for giving us that, uh, and certainly Andy for for that moment in the in the cathedral when you were you know, and I know you do, you weren't doing it for the camera, but it just it connected with me because I was feeling exactly the same thing at that moment. So that was wonderful. Smashing. Matt, what about you? What what do you what do you take away from it? When it goes back to the little three year old, doesn't it? I mean, to be here, it was my birthday yesterday, so I'm um, forty seven now. I'm sitting not very far away from the bowler hat that I was. Mm-hmm. bought for my birthday by my parents when I was 15 to just be able to make a Laurel and Hardy documentary yeah. about something that probably not many people know so you can introduce some you can introduce people to a, a new story but at the same time hark back to you know these two legends and kind of hopefully encourage yeah. people to check out maybe other films or, or the life or the biography or, or just it's that it's you pinch yourself. You think to yourself, how did it get here? How did, you know, you, you often put, you know, things away. Like we've said about, you know, you're told to grow up, you're taught that, you know, at a certain age, you should like a certain thing and you should, should be into a certain yeah. thing. And you kind of, or you become pompous and you, you kind of go, well, no, I'm, I'm going to, you know, wear a suit and a tie now and I'm going to be really, really serious and that's going to be my persona. And I went down that route. I went down that route of not actually showing my true interests, but also my true personality. Uh, I was trying to be too serious in a lot of the work that I was doing and I didn't follow a lot of the things that actually made me happy. Mm. And now having done that, going back to the little films that I made you know probably even the university like doing that which I'm quite embarrassed about that we went off and did it and the the, the, the actual drama thing that we made is doesn't really stand up it's really amateurish but I didn't know I had any skills at that point but yeah. also going off into it seems crazy going off into a park dressed up as Lauren Hardy as a teenager <laughs> when everybody else was going off to the pub and all that kind of thing yeah. you know but you 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 then look back and go you 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 make these decisions that kind of lead to like you've led to this podcast yeah. and is, you know, is contacting Charlie Williams, you know, to, because of his, his, his relationship with his father. And, and that's kind of led on to this career that's, that's led him to uh, this Lauren and Hardy story. But yeah. to me, it's like you look back on your life and all these little things and you kind of something steering you, yes. you know, we can look yeah. up and it's, it's, it's something steering us, but there's also that thing of you making your own look and you, you know, something's strong enough in your life. Um, you know, it's that old thing about just being yourself. When you try and be somebody else, you're never truly happy, are you? No. When you start being yourself, it's suddenly things start falling into place. And this is one of those things. And I'm immensely proud of it. I'm immensely proud of having met Andy. And I'm immensely proud of being here talking to you about Laurel and Hardy, which, again, I would have absolutely 
never thought this would be possible as yeah. a, as as a young kid or even at university. Like, yeah, you're going to go on a, sh- a show and talk, just talk about Lawrence. <laughs> and you know and all the imagery that goes through your head while you're talking about it. that's a great thing about you can do a radio show a podcast like this and you've got all those images you know that's that's that you've recorded in your through your eyes into your brain as, as a child yeah. and they play they play out while you're discussing and you or you imagine things you're imagining laurel and hardy as older men you know going back to to write their scripts in the in this uh dunleary hotel you know kind of the you know you, you you fill in the blanks, you know, uh, yeah. of the fairy tale, like you said, it's like a fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely right. It's a it's a lovely thing. I mean, yeah, you should be very proud of the film. It it is very clearly made with a lot of heart and a lot of love for the subject, which is all any any fan can ask. And I think it, you've done a you know a wonderful tribute to the boys. Um, absolutely, um, and it's that as you were saying, to be able to affect how viewers or in my case listeners or or readers with the magazine to be able to affect their lives in a small way to inspire them to want to revisit the films is such a rewarding thing I mean when I get feedback from listeners and and readers of the magazine to say I really enjoyed that thank you so much it's got me through a really tough time I'm now watching all the films along with the podcast or um, as I said to you before you know I've got a 12 year old boy called Sammy who for for quite a few months has been listening to my podcast as his bedtime story and it's just it's such a wonderful thing you know and this is just because I decided one day I'd like to listen to a Laurel and Hardy podcast and there wasn't one and I thought what do I do I'll just have to make one you know and so and that's it you know and then you start reaching out to people and it all just comes together it's fabulous fabulous gentlemen thank you so much I'm going to ask you one final question Okay, I have to ask this to everybody. I have to ask, he says, um, the atoll question. Okay, so you are both about to be stranded on different deserted atolls, <laughs> I have to say. You're not on the same one, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. But you are being allowed to take with you four Laurel and Hardy-related items with you. So you are both allowed a silent short, a talkie short, a feature film, and a Laurel and Hardy-related book. So can you tell me what your choices are and just briefly explain why? Or, well, not to have to be briefly explain why. You can go off at length if you like. Um, <laughs> we'll, do it, we'll do it one at a time. So we'll, we'll, have, uh, we'll have Andy's silent short and then we'll have your silent short, Matt, and we'll do it that way, I think, and, and sort of mix it up a little bit. So, uh, Andy, what silent short of Laurel and Hardy would you like to keep on your actor? I'd love to take Flying Elephants. Uh, it's just... <laughs> It's just so silly, and and it kind of stands out <laughs> on its own, really. Um, I, I love this, this. I was not expecting that. I was not <laughs> expecting flying. <laughs> I told you, I, you were... I told you it was weird, didn't I? I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were joking. That I was waiting for the. Not really. Go tell me about flying elephants. Well, That's great. It's, it's, there, there's some shots of Stan <laughs> where he looks like Charles Hawtrey. <laughs> that really makes me laugh. I, I, I love the, the clouds of dust as they run along. Yeah, little clouds of dust. And that really makes me laugh. Obviously, there's Fiddlerson in there, and I, I like the like the music. And it's just it's just really silly, and I'm I'm really excited. I know this thing's come out this this Blu-ray, which I can't afford right now, but I will get one. And I'm really excited <laughs> yeah. because. The, the print that I've got on a DVD is absolutely atrocious. But Oh, you're going to love this. You will love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm very excited about seeing it. the clouds of dust as they run along. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's fantastic. Well, you are the first person, Andy, I have to Yay! say, who has selected flying elephants on your... So I have a copy easily available for that, no problem at all. <laughs> That's great. Um, and for you, Matt, what, were you, what are you having? Well, it's going to have to be Liberty. I know that's probably been mentioned many, many times, but um, I like the fact it, it, you literally it hits the ground running. So you start off yeah. and then running away from something. And in that perfect Lowell and Hardy way of running, which has been eight in, you know, cartoons, but also in like the Far Side Gallery and all those kind of things. So, yeah. you, And I love the bit where it's really early on when they jump out of the car and Ollie there's a there's a, a a cop on a on a motorbike that's been chasing the car they both jump yeah. out stan and ollie and ollie pretends to stand that he's selling in this car he pretends that, yeah. and he's just pointing and again it's so modern it's such you could see that in ricky gervais doing it you could see that yeah. in some you know all oh, quick let's pretend we're you know buying something or look at your shop uh, looking at shop window um there's that there's stan's leg acting which um <laughs> It's absolutely fantastic. My yeah. grandfather, the one that was the the uh, son of the music hall comedian, he had bow legs. Right. And so we always used to say that when he ran, he looked like an egg whisk. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you see Stan on top of those girders, he yeah. does this wobbly leg thing, which is absolutely hilarious. Which in yes. real life, I've never actually seen anybody so frightened that their knees knock. I've seen it in cartoons. <laughs> I've seen it in comic books. But he's literally, and the, the look on his face of fright and his hair's all sticking up anyway, because it always does. But that yeah. wobbly leg thing, which then, you know, becomes refined and into Way Out West where it's part of a dance and what often he does it is like almost like a mock Charleston. Yeah. But, but that that egg whisk uh, thing. But also how it's shot as a filmmaker. I mean, we, you, I know you've talked about it before on, on the podcast about, you know, CGI and all that kind of thing. I don't really do CGI. I don't really watch a lot of films that are CGI. Um, but not just that, the fact they shot it on top of a building with the real yeah. real thing in the background. Um, they don't actually go very, very wide. So you never see a really, really, really wide shot of Stan and Ollie as like two little ants on top of this thing. You don't need to. It's almost like Hitchcock with the um, Psycho. A lot of it's in your head. You're putting mm. it together that they're, you know, it's a tight, tight frame. And obviously they must have uh, safety nets or the, or, the, or the platform just out of shot. So they never actually pull that wide, but it's all in the fear on their faces. You you fill in the gaps. It's like, you know, when you hear, when often in Lauren Hardy films where they leave the frame and you hear the operatic Oliver Hardy, oh! <laughs> and you're filling in, he's, he's left the scene, he's left the frame, and you're filling yes. you know, the sound effects like you would get in cartoons, and you're filling in all the gaps. And there's that with with the Liberty where you're filling in all the gaps and, yeah. and, it, and your stomach goes over and there's loads of bits I mean, to, even to this day, I don't understand how the crab gets blown away, <laughs> but then it crawls along the girder. Yeah. It's literally out to the air, and that must be a boomerang crab crab because it comes back <laughs> and bites him on the toe. But also the bits, the bit with the ladder as well, where um, it's, uh, Stan is, pu is pulling the rope on the ladder. And again, there's a, there's a cut in that part where you don't actually see the ladder for it's kind of cut just before and so it goes yeah. from like the wobbly ladder thing to 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 stand leaping off the ladder onto the it's not it's not together but you yeah. fill it in and it's only by watching it a few times recently that you know like, oh you, you you put a lot of this stuff together yeah. because you, you're going along with this story and you're wanting them to get back and it's again i like liberty because i like the ones where stan and ollie get out pretty much unscathed 
and it, yes. it has a nice conclusion. I'm not a fan of Stan's scary endings or horrible endings <laughs> where limbs have been removed and wrapped around the neck. Or they've, <laughs> I, I want to see Stan and Ollie leave the picture again, ready to go off on another adventure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so that's what I like. Uh, that's why I like Liberty uh, is the fact they they do get out of it unharmed. Unlike the policeman that's at the bottom of the lift shaft, which has to obviously go and get new clothes because he's <laughs> half the height he was. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Liberty's, Liberty's my one. That's a great choice. That's a really good choice. And what's interesting about Liberty as well, I'm sure you I'm sure you know, the the first reel of Liberty is actually the offcut from the film before, from We Four Down, uh, where they changing the tr- and I love that swapping trousers business where they keep on getting caught. That's just <laughs> a layer. I love that. I think I love. I think I like the first reel better than the second reel, and that's great. Yeah. But the, just that whole kind of you know, um, yeah. I know. I know what you're up to. You you know. <laughs> It's just really funny. Brilliant. That's great. Okay. Two very interesting choices, Andy. I'm going to say interesting choices, but all good. Where's it going to go from here, Andy? I'm worried now. Oh, I'm worried. <laughs> it can't go any worse than that. That's that's a good one. Okay. Let's go talkie short. Andy, what's your talkie short? Well, I, I, I actually, on revisiting the films, I, I don't really like the features very much. I thought I, yeah. I loved the features and I much prefer the shorts. And there are there's so many that I really really love, but I I can love a film because of one shot, and and another fine mess. That that initial shot of them running down the street just makes me laugh so much. <laughs> I, I love the weird twins introduction. So you're Agnes. Yes, ma'am. My, what a striking resemblance between you and the butler. Yes, ma'am. You see, uh, I'm twins. How remarkable. <laughs> the, the yes ma'am just makes me howl. Um, <laughs> the, the music is really, really subtle. The, the, the use of the horn. And when Stan comes out of the door, they play the cuckoo like he's a cuckoo coming out of a cuckoo clock. <laughs> yes. I love the blinds and the curtains gag that it just spins and spins and spins. Thelma Todd and, and Finlayson are in there. The name Hives makes me howl. What is it, Hives? Um, Plum Tree's laugh. (laughs) Is this the home of Colonel Wilberforce Buckshot? Yes, sir. Well, uh, I understand this place is for rent. Is it? I I mean, it is, yes. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) I am Lord Leopold Plumtree. My car. The double take when Bookshop comes back, when Babe, the double take that he does, he's he's just howling. And the ending is just perfect. That ridiculous thing where the bike cuts in half and and they're dressed as that canoe or whatever it is. It's it's perfect from start to finish and it's really Keystone and it's really, um, you know, uh, Roadrunner. It's just fantastic. It's perfect from start to finish. It's just beautiful. That's great. That's in, it. It's interesting, Andy saying that he loves it from one frame. Obviously, being a photographer, he's kind of gone in with that, you know, that single yeah. image. Yes, yes. From there, uh, yeah. that's that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and another one, another one that starts with them running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a running gag. Hey. So, how do you how do you feel how do you feel? Well, oh, very good, very good. <laughs> that's excellent. So, how do you feel, Andy, about uh, duck soup? Because obviously, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Another fine mess is a remake. Correct, yeah. How do you feel about um, that? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, 
I, I, I'm afraid I get really annoyed about the, um, the, the if it's a dirty print or it's not particularly good. Mm. I, mm. I want it to be better. But yeah, it is, as, yeah. as you say, it's completely based on it and it's great. It's very funny. Really good. Yeah. And again, if, if you do get the Blu-ray, the dog soup is just wonderful. I uh, Serge Bromberg, who, who was in charge of the, the restorations, um, he sent me a preview copy of um, of Duck Soup, and I was just blown away by it. This the the, the amount of um, more screen that you can see. Yes. You know, it's such a bigger because it's it was like I said this to him. It was like looking through a dirty keyhole. The the original one that I'd got. You know, it's like dark around the edges. It's just a very tight image. So much more that you can see, and such such clarity. It's just it's it, it is like watching these films for the first time. Well, I'm a huge Melias fan. And um, they the lobster did. They did the. They restored the little titch clip, and they restored right. all the, the Melia stuff. And that's just stunning. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, they do great work. I think the really. timing of your podcast though is perfect because you're coming to the end of the of the silence, and I'm the same. I'm I'm hanging on for this Blu-ray. I don't really want to watch rewatch any silent stuff. And yeah. even though I've been listening long to podcasts, and it's like, oh yeah, uh, I'd love to go and revisit that. But I'm waiting to get the Blu-ray. So the timing is perfect that you're coming to the end of it and loads of people, I imagine Christmas time, they're going to be rushing out, getting the Blu-ray. and. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so because that, that, that is what it is all about. You know, it's to, to inspire people to do that, exactly. And again, it comes back to this thing with, you know, I started this just on a whim and the timing of it has just come round to exactly that. The silence of we're just getting to the end of it. This Blu-ray comes out. Next year, obviously, we'll have the 1928 Year 2 Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, just as my book on the silence comes mm-hmm. out. Um, and again, the timing of it is all just perfect. It's, you know, I'm sure Stan and Babe are up there saying, right, okay, let's just work this out. Who, what's going to come out when? What do, what do people need? Let's get it sorted. So, it's Well, if we, see, if we see a horse with a moustache and a bowler hat on <laughs> with, uh, with his head over a fence, then we need to, you know, <laughs> That's right. we need to go and speak to that horse. Well, here's another nice mess you've gotten me into. Ollie, is that really you? Of course it's me. Exactly, exactly. Um, fantastic. Okay, so, uh, Matt, yeah, we need your talkie short, sir. Um, so, Busy Bodies is Martin. Oh, um, brilliant. You've got Tiny Sanford and Charlie Hall. So, we spoke about Finlayson, obviously, but um, the, I, I like the, the beginning bit. Oh, they're driving down the road again. It's not running this time, driving down the road. But don't you notice in the background the tiny palm trees? Yeah. Well, obviously, those palm trees now are massive. They were kind of like planted. So there's there's that kind of it shows you that early Hollywood of like it's all in its infancy. These things have been plopped up there. And now the same street. But this, this is the crazy thing about the car with they've invented like the car stereo. Well, the car <laughs> with yeah. the uh, record player in it. What a beautiful morning. Turn on the radio and let's have some music. And it's a beautiful, you know, uh, sunny day, and uh, I forget the line now. Uh, my mind's going, but just it, was it, it, it? Ollie turns to Stan and goes, "Why, even you look bright this morning." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But this is set up this beautiful day, and you think to yourself, "How have they got this?" This, these jobs as carpenters <laughs> and have they've got this car and they're in Hollywood and then you know the whole thing kind of then starts falling apart doesn't it as they get but it's the, the classic thing of they've got the bowler hats on still but they're in the uh, overalls and uh, 
it starts off with him annoying Charlie Hall. Obviously, he, he, he blasts the horn as Charlie's got all those planks in his hand. He throws all yes. up in the air. <laughs> what do you think you're trying to do? Can't you take a little joke? <laughs> Why don't you look where you're going? Clumsy. Yeah. And and then there's a the bit where Stan obviously does the, you think he's going one way with it, you think he's actually stitched Ollie up, and he's like, oh, that's not very nice, and then suddenly gives Charlie a cigar and then uh, dobs him into the foreman for smoking and it gets yeah. chucked out. Um, but I love the bit, there's two bits where I love it when that circular saw drops on Ollie's head. Yeah. Oh! Mm. <laughs> yes. It's just perfect. I could watch that over and over again. I just love it when things that are flat drop on his head from a height. <laughs> it's often, you know, the glass in the top of a door or something. But you just think that, that routine's finished with the nail in the water and everything else. Yeah. And yeah. he just took his hat off and it lands flat. Nice. And you just see and the sound effect is perfect. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. And then the, the end of that whole sequence after the 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 beard, you know, that's been been made out of the, <laughs> the glued on uh, brush, and he's finally got that. <laughs> And you've got all this open. He pulls the uh, the hose, and that sink comes flying towards him. <laughs> and again, I can just watch that over and over again. It's like just as you think that it couldn't be any worse, he gets yeah. hit in the face with a sink. <laughs> and then, of course, then goes on to fall down a chute, and you know gets uh, fired out it. and squashes the house and all that kind of stuff. But it just builds and builds and builds, and uh, it's you know even the bit with the, pl- the plank at the beginning, which you know it's quite pantomime, and I think. Because you, when you see these things over and over again, references the years go on, you know, like in yeah. famously in the plank, you know, the uh, the Tommy Cooper and Eric Sykes thing. But with just to keep going backwards to pick up the lunchbox, just when you think they've, they've milked this plank gag one more time, Ollie looks left, looks right, pauses, tiptoes out a bit like, you know, a Homer Simpson, <laughs> picks up his uh, lunchbox, turns around, the plank goes by, smack, he's straight into it again. You know, they get another gag out of that. It's just, you know. Yeah. I just think that whole the whole uh, there must have been the gag writer said well, we're going to do it in a sawmill. Oh great, you know, got yeah. nails, got, <laughs> yeah, right. got all this stuff to be to be playing with, and you know it was a lot of fun, wasn't it? They just played with that. Yeah. They set the uh, the location up and just kind of went to town on, yeah. uh, and you know, in the end, in it of literally like a whole great big shed gets demolished by Ollie. Ooh, and those <laughs> yeah, oper- I mean, I love that Ollie's operatic. Screams! I never tire of them. No, they and the longer they are, the longer and the higher, and the more they tail off into like the distance, <laughs> the funnier it is for me. You know. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love those. It's very much like um, Tom and Jerry, Tom Scream, and Tom and Jerry cartoons. <laughs> and I only, just, I only just found out only a few months ago that they 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 did that by having somebody scream, but then they chopped off the front uh, as it grows. And so it just starts at the, ah! Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really clever. Really, really good. But no, I, yes, I'll, I'll, Ollie is just fantastic. The noises that he makes, even the, just a short, just yeah. that long. Oh. Yeah, which you can see that in The Simpsons, can't you? I mean, obviously, dough has been, you know, yeah, yeah. you know the Finlayson dough thing. But there's also yeah. the, oh, you know, there's a lot of that in Homer gets hit by, yes. you know, there's a lot of that that's, that's carried on. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. Brilliant. I, I do, I love busy bodies. I love, to be honest, I love any of the, um, like the blue collar um, ones, whether in the overalls and job yeah. to do, I just love all of that. It's just fantastic. Okay, um, so Andy, you don't like the feature films, so which one are you going to choose? Well, th- th- I've chosen I've chosen a chump at Oxford because it feels like 
three or four shorts sewn together. You've yes. got the bits yeah. with the water truck and the bits where he's, yeah. where he's patting the water off his coat. It's just so utterly ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and then they, they, they get this job and they go to the house. What a strange looking person. Well, what do you expect on a few hours notice? If you'd have gone to the trouble we did to get us the job... Uh, what he means, I mean she means, is that this is the best they could do up on such short notice. <laughs> oh, never mind, dear. Any old port in a storm, you know. I suppose you're right. Call Pierre. What's your name? Uh, my name is Ollie, and this is Agnes. And the, the bit where Stan gets drunk... <laughs> And he's he's lying on the chaise long, and you see the um, the smoke rings coming up from the pipe. That just makes me howl. <laughs> and and then yeah. he goes, "Why don't you be careful? You almost blew my brains out." Which is just <laughs> fantastic. And then outside the bank, I don't, I'm sure you'll have noticed, but in the window it says Finlayson National Bank. That's right. Which is yes. which just delights me. I love little things like that. Well, here we are at last, right down in the gutter. I wonder what's the matter with us. We're just as good as other people, yet we don't seem to advance ourselves. We never get any place. You know what the trouble is, don't you? We've never had no education. That's what's the matter. You see, we're not illiterate enough. I guess you're right. Sure I'm right. You see, if we went to school like other people, we, we would learn our three R's, and today there'd be no job too small for us. Believe me. What do you mean, three R's? Well, reading, writing, and and figuring. Figuring? Sure. You know, two and two makes seven, and four and four makes seven. It's different to the first. You mean arithmetic. Yeah, I knew what it meant, but I couldn't say it. All the business yeah. with the sandwiches in the street and dropping this, this, the things that they've been sweeping up. Uh, we haven't eaten since breakfast. It's brilliant. So this is Oxford. Yes, sir. I think we're going to like it here. Mm -hmm. oh, pardon me, but haven't you come to the wrong college? Well, this is Oxford, isn't it? Yes, but uh, you're dressed for eating. Well, that's swell. We haven't eaten since breakfast, have haven't we? Haven't eaten since breakfast. And then and then they go to Oxford, and there's, there's Peter Cushing. And you're like, oh, my God, it's Peter Cushing, which is amazing. <laughs> I love the soda siphons in the bed and the hands in the maze. Um, but the absolute... <laughs> thing for me is is the wiggling ears it's just absolute <laughs> joy it really is just wonderful and the relief of ollie at the end when stan comes back as his path that's yes. really lovely yeah. and, and i know it's just a silly yeah. thing but it's a it's a nice thing and uh, uh yeah i yeah. i i thought i would because i'm such a film fan i thought okay well you know features will be the ones for me but ironically i like the shorts yeah, I think that's quite that's quite common. Actually, I mean, the sh I mean, even Stan said that the shorts were where they were best. Yeah, that that was their format, and um, I think there are arguably, you know, Sons of the Desert, Way Out West. I think are probably the two best yeah. features for me. You know, they 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 are just they don't feel as if they've been drawn out. Mm. You know, as you say, Chumper Oxford is great, but it feels like it's just a load of little things mushed together. Yeah. Sons and, and Way Out West are just two wonderful films uh, that are perfect. I would say they're probably perfect. They're more of an art of a story, films. aren't they? You know, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they feel like they feel like a short. They have a short. They feel like a short. They don't feel as if they've been dragged out. So, um, but no, it, it's quite yeah, quite common t- for people to uh, uh, prefer the shorts. Yeah, absolutely. So don't don't feel bad about that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Matt, what are you having? Well, you kind of stole my thunder with way, way out west, and I know okay. it's an obvious one. Um, but going back to what I said about you to tape as a child, tape them take the films off the television for some reason my copy i must have taped got rushed around to find my laurel and hardy cassette and put it in late because it starts with them with the mule and then walking across uh, stands dragging ollie so for years i didn't know the beginning bit at all i'd never seen the opening credits until they started to put the restored ones on the cinema and i went as as an adult and it started and i was like Wow, there's a whole saloon scene with <laughs> dancing girls and cowboys and like a, a bit of a, a vaudeville thing where the uh, Finlayson's being heckled and all that stuff. <laughs> Reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Tex Avery cartoons, which I'm also a fan of. And um, yeah, so I kind of re fell in love with it again. Um, yeah, what, what, block and tackle routine. Um <laughs> The, the bit, and I, I bet, don't know whether you're the same, but there's a few lines that I always do with friends or whatever. And uh, my, uh, me and my cousin are very, very close with only a year between us. And so uh, we always used to put um, Laughing Gravy on at Christmas together to watch it. It was being, yeah. it became a tradition that we just, because yeah. it was on one year and we just thought, oh, let's do it every year. <laughs> why, should, why should it just be one year? But um, yeah, I always go, I'm going to spit on my hands. And that bit where he says, <laughs> There's that beat. So Stan's pulling the block up with Ollie. They're trying to get him through the window. And you always think, why don't you just go around the back? You know, why don't you just go somewhere? <laughs> no, obviously it's much easier to go through. So he's, he's Stan's hoisting. There's a point where he, where he pauses. And the camera angles on this is great as well, because there's, there's a point of view shot looking down. There's a point of view shot looking up. We've really gone to town on it. And you get Ollie's point of view and Stan's just said, Wait a minute, lad. Spit on me hand. And, and Ollie whispers, all right. He actually replies to it. <laughs> and Stan lets go of the rope, and Ollie stays yeah. where he is, you know, yeah. spits on his hands. There's like a beat, and Ollie comes crashing down, <laughs> leaves a massive crater yeah. that then Ollie stands up and Stan steps down into the crater, <laughs> yeah. or, um, almost to ignore it, and then steps back out again. That whole routine. But there's loads of stuff like that in, in Where Out West. You've got the songs... Uh, yeah. But the other thing as well is I just love the fact that there's a great narrative structure. There's that hero's yeah. journey of yes. they come in to do a job. They need to find Mary Roberts and and sort out the uh, the give her the, the deed and all that kind of thing. And okay. the, all the stuff happens and they get left. You know, all the, the calamities happen and the magic yeah. th- magic finger and all the other stuff and eating the hat and they keep the continuity of that, that Ollie's still got the bits of the hat out the end. But I love the fact that they leave together at the end, all three of yes. them with Mary Roberts, and it's like, well, now that our troubles are over, what are we going to do now? Well, I'd like to go back to the town where I was born. Where is that? Way down south. Are you from the south? I sure am. Well, fan my brow. I'm from the south. You are? Mm-hmm. Well, shut my mouth. I'm from the south, too. South of what, sir? The south of London. London. Well, honey, we'll all go down to Dixie. Oh, for a slice of possum and yam. Ooh. Yes, sir, and some good old fish and chips. 
I can smell them fish and chips. And I love that. You know, you could have just ended, you know, obviously they went on to make loads of other films and of diminishing returns. Um, but it's just great when I love it when they leave. And obviously there's a bit where Ollie goes down the same hole and we but we we kind of think he's gonna come back out of that, you know. As the credits yes, as the credits roll, he's gonna come back out of that. Yes. But it's great that you've got that perfect arc. Uh, story art and I love uh, that's and as a kid I loved it and then when I, re- I saw it at the cinema again I came out of the cinema uh, absolutely overjoyed and yeah, uh, and I mean they're back on at the cinema again aren't they with the uh, yes in October yes, that's right. in the UK with the uh, dirty work and um, Sons of the Desert and again yeah. take your friends you know spread the word yeah. if they're not Lowell and Hardy fans you know take them to see them in a cinema with an audience. And it, yeah. it, it comes to life even more than, you know, when you've watched them on the TV or wherever, yeah. however you've watched them over the years. Seeing them where they should be seen is is a real treat. Yeah, you know? yeah. definitely, definitely. No, it's a wonderful choice. Way Out West is, is, it is fabulous. And what I love about it is I think it's so, as you say, they went to town on it. They, they It's such a believable yeah. world of the creative, of, of this Wild West um, so so well done, and funnily enough, when you were talking at the start, Matt, about um, uh, watching your grandfather laughing, um, I remember my dad laughing at this particular film. That the moment where Lola comes out with the deed. And that bit just absolutely yeah. used to slay my dad, you know, and well, it still does, I'm sure. Um, but also, the, do you notice a bit with Lola where? Um... She, the scene with the bed where they're trying to get the locket lock in, that obviously tickling laughing scene. The actress, she, yeah. Sharon Lynn, Sharon Lynn, um, she can't stop laughing. And as kids, no, as kids, we used to, we, me and my cousin always used to point and go, Look, look, because <laughs> Stan's getting high, his voice is getting higher and higher, and, and it's so funny. And you're laughing at it, yeah. but she can't yeah. do the take without she's turning yeah. away from the camera, she's wrestling yeah. with him, and she's trying to mask her face because she can't stop laughing. I don't know how many takes yeah. they must have done, but yes. there's bits like that where it's great because you, you know, it, break, it breaks yeah. down the whole magic of the film, but you just think yeah. they must have had so much fun doing that, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely. Brilliant choice, I love it, absolutely love it. Okay, uh, so we move on now to your final item, which is your Laurel and Hardy related book. And Matt, you've just been reading Louvish again. Yeah, I'm not going to choose Louvish, but yeah, it's tough. Uh, as I said, John McCabe were the ones that I had, for, they've all faded now. I've literally got them out recently and they've yeah. been on my shelf and uh, I had them such such a long time. Yeah. Then went on to the Louvish, is a bit older because um, of the influence on... Um, Neil Brand, it is Neil Brand, isn't it? Uh, Stan. Uh, yeah, yeah, Stan. Yes, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, inf- yeah, influence on on his his uh, play, a radio play, but also yeah. on Stan and Ollie. You can see it there. Um, but I think it's going to have to be Laurel and Hardy, the magic behind the movies. Uh, yeah. Randy Scrapfield. I was lucky enough that I've met Randy, uh, yeah. filmed Randy, uh, even sang and played a ukulele with Randy. Um, <laughs> but his book. If you're going to be on, if you're going to be on a desert island, yeah. that's the book that's going to keep you occupied. And there's things in it like, you know, I didn't know that Laughing Gravy. I've loved that film. I didn't know that Laughing Gravy was the slang for liquor. That it's, yes, it's, you know, it's just, it's the gravy that makes you laugh. Yeah. And they called, you know, the, and then that dog then went on to, I think Charlie Hall bought one of the puppies on the lot. It yeah, was like a dog. That's that, right. 
That's right. There's all that stuff in there, which is fantastic. So you can, you find out about the films from Randy, but you find out all yeah. these other bits. And it's such yeah. a big book that he's obviously revisited in 2019. It's a much bigger one than the original one. And, yeah, um, yeah although they, it's tough, there's so many great Lauren Hardy books. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be Lauren Hardy, The Magic Behind the Movies, Randy Scrapvit. The expanded edition Expan- or the original? Expanded, expanded edition. Expanded, Because if you're going to be stuck on this at all... <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, even if you need kindling, you're going to need... <laughs> <laughs> you're still... that, thing would, that thing would burn for months. You, you, you could still have half the, half the book left, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely right. Uh, that's great. That's great. And it's the size of a mattress as well, so you know you could actually just bed down on it. It's superb. Perfect. Andy, what are you going for? Well, I, I also love Lubish and John McCabe and... Uh, Liam, Liam's book, we've got to mention Liam's book near Dublin because mm. he was, oh, of course. He was re- great yeah. as a source for us. But I'm going to choose Spot On by Michael Erecht. Great choice. Uh, okay. Because I'm a, I'm a very visual person and it's a very visual book and it's and it mm. focuses on the tours as opposed to all the other books really focus quite rightly on the films. It's got that brilliant CD with the, with the audio content, which was a thrill. For me, while yeah. we were while we were looking at this film, and and also while we're editing yeah, the pictures and stuff, and uh, he's done a lovely job, and he's gathered in all these really amazing things, and there are tickets in there, so um, yeah. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to find as many Laurel and Hardy tickets as I can, and I found about eight, uh, you know, original yeah. vintage tickets. So the fact that he's got tickets in there gets me very excited. That's great. That's a lovely choice. It is a it's a beautiful book, actually. I mean, uh, we had um, Nico on uh, who co-authored it with with Michael. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the very early episodes, I think it was. Leave them laughing. We were talking about, um, and yeah, fascinating just to hear about you know how they were putting it together and why they did why did they did the big sort of square format you know because they wanted it to be like an LP sure. because it was yeah. to, to do with the the audio That's as great. well and uh, yeah, just those large images. Um, yeah, a really beautiful book, actually. Really, really nice, um, and it, it's quite it's quite niche because it's obviously the end of their yeah. career. But actually, it's just such a beautiful thing. You, you've got to, as a fan, you've got to have it because it's a big part of the whole, you know, Laurel and Hardy story. Yeah. Beautiful thing, and of course, they've got another one coming out very, very soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed, um, to do with um, the later years. But it's on it's on Michael's uh, website. It's um, yeah, that's, again should be a really and that's got I think that says DVD with it as well this time. Yeah, wow. that's right. so there are some real rare um, yeah film clips you know from from the later years. So really looking forward to it. Um, great, excellent stuff. Well, I think you'll be very happy on the, your islands. So um, yeah, the good thing Andy Andy can use a CD though, can't he? To to try and get a passing ship. Signal. You know? Yeah, too right. <laughs> I haven't got I haven't got that. That's not fair. I should have thought of that. Yeah. I should have thought of a... or, or or improve his tan. He could shine it onto his own face and yeah, get a... I should, Somebody should bring a Laurel and Hardy book that's got uh, an inflatable raft that you can you know <laughs> for this particular for this particular question. I should have that in my book next year. Brilliant. I should pack it in. I'll buy it. Comes that. with an inflatable raft for your atoll. Great. I love it. Great. That's a great idea. Gentlemen, thank you so much. If you can hang on for a little bit of a Patreon um, additional question or two, um, that would be great. But uh, for the meantime, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been it's been lovely to, to spend this time with you and to listen to uh, your experiences making the film. Congratulations. It is a work of art. And I'm sure uh, as soon as more and more people start to, to see it, you'll start getting all the feedback that you deserve. So well done and thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Should we just... Um, Andy, do you want to plug where people can see it next? Yes, I would love to do that. Oh, yes. Yes, do that. Now, obviously, uh, we're trying to find places to show the film 
that have meaning to to Laurent Hardy. So Cove was our first one that was a premiere, and on Saturday, November the twenty fifth, uh, we are showing it at the Glasgow Panopticon, which is of course Ooh, where Stan told his very first joke. And we're very excited because a good pal of mine, Norrie Wilson, is going to do a Q&A with us and uh, details to follow. But if you keep watching the Glasgow Panopticon website, um, the Britannia Music Hall, uh, it'll pop up there. And we're really excited about that. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, well, thank you for that. You heard it here first. That's great. Well, I'll uh, if, if you can send me the links to um, anything that promotes it, I can put that onto the um, the show notes to the podcast, and uh, anybody that wants is listening, you can just click straight on it and take them straight to the Panopticon website or wherever wherever's best. That's great, gentlemen. Thank you so thank much, you. and uh, thank uh, you. hopefully thank we'll you. we'll speak to you again in the future sometime with your with your next film, your sequel. <laughs> yes. yes. What will that be? <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. Cheers, guys. Goodbye. Bye. That's great. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) So there we are. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the podcast. Do look out for screenings of the guy's film, The Last Dance of the Cuckoos, and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And don't forget, if you're a patron of the podcast, you can now access a further 30 minutes or so of my discussion with Andy and Matt, in which I ask them which Laurel and Hardy film they would banish to Bogeyland. And if you're not a patron yet and you'd like to access all the exclusive podcasts and more benefits besides, then you can sign up for a small few pounds, euros, dollars or whatever currency you use at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com and just search for the Laurel and Hardy podcast. Or even easier, just click the link in the show notes. Also, if you're interested in subscribing to our all-new Laurel and Hardy magazine, you can do just that by visiting www.laurelandhardyfilms.com. That's Laurel, A-N-D, and hardyfilms.com. The summer 2023 issue is out now and is focused on the boys' classic short, Helpmates, with exclusive articles by Randy Scretvet and Serge Bromberg. Next time, it's business as usual as we resume our deep dive into the Laurel and Hardy film canon and our attention turns to the very final silent short the boys made, Angora Love. So a huge thank you to today's guests, Matt Holt and Andy Hollingworth. A huge thanks to Bo Hunks Orchestra and Basta Music for the wonderful music. And thank you so much to you for joining us. And until next time, it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye from him. Goodbye. And it's a very goodbye from me. Goodbye.